listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Psalm 130. Our, our title this morning, we're, call, we're calling this a Psalm for the Captive. A Psalm for the Captive. And we're going to read kind of through this throughout the service, but it starts, the psalmist says, out of the depths. In other words, out of great trouble. Uh, The the psalmist is trying to communicate to us out of a, a moment or a season of great despair. The depths would communicate like being in the middle of the ocean all alone in whatever the psalmist is dealing with. I'm, I'm saying the psalmist because scholars aren't sure who wrote this. Uh, most of the psalms that we've read in this series have all been by David, um, but this one we're not sure. It could have been David. It could have been someone else. But what's clear, the psalmist, the author of this, has found himself or herself in a moment of captivity where, where they are held down and tied down by something. And as we read the psalm, it's going to be clear that the psalmist is held down by their sin, that the decisions and actions that they made led to this moment. But my, my hope, and I think we're going to see this in God's word this morning, is this psalm really speaks to anyone that's captive by anything. So it's not just sin. It could be maybe you're captive to anxiety. You're captive to a certain pain that you're walking through right now. You're captive, just as school started this past week, you're captive to the busyness of your schedule, right? Just the hurry of life. You're captive to shame from your past. This psalm, if you're locked in this morning, is going to speak to everyone in this room. It's going to speak to those that are currently held captive by something. That if you would say, man, this psalm is me, right? Like I am in the depths crying out to God because of the season that I find myself in. It's going to speak to you. But if you're also on the other side of saying, man, I'm not in a season right now where I'm held captive, I, I believe God's word is going to speak to you as well. It's almost for you that maybe aren't held captive, it's going to become to you as a warning, And as you're going to see, it's going to be a warning of how not to find yourself in a season of when you were held captive, or even a chance for you to reflect on moments of struggles in the past of how did I get there? And so what we're going to do this morning, as we look at God's Word, we're going to look at the film. And just as a football team would, which, praise God, we are days away from the football season, right? Like, we all know what we're going to do every weekend now. Like, it's very clear what we're going to do on Saturdays and Sundays. But as a football team would watch film, and they're going to analyze every week, what went wrong with this play? Why did we throw an interception here? How did we lose this this game, these first four drives? What went wrong? And in hopes to not make those mistakes for the next game, we're going to look at the film of our life. And as looking at this psalm, we're going to ask three evaluation questions. And we're going to look at our first response in times of trouble. We're going to look at our worship and our devotion. And and through all this, before you leave this morning, you're going to see that no matter what you find yourself held captive to, that God is the Redeemer, that he brings people out of the pit for his glory and his goodness. 
But we're going to ask these questions and evaluate, how did I get here? And how can I get out? And how can I not make the same mistake again? The first question is, what is your first response? Or you might want to say, what was your first response if you're evaluating what has happened in the past? When you get the phone call with the bad news, when the busyness of life begins to overwhelm you, uh, when the temptation, that, that sin struggle for you is, is right there and you have a decision, do I give in or do I don't? When the doctor calls with the diagnosis, what do you run to in times of trouble? What is your first response, your first reaction? Do you turn into the Hulk when something bad happens, right? And you just start throwing things, punching the wall, right? Do you like burn hot with anger? Do you run to someone or something else for help, for comfort? Do you try to avoid the situation? Do you isolate yourself and not tell anyone about it and say, hey, this is just me, myself, and I, and I'm going to battle this on my own? What's your response to a time of trouble? The, the psalmist shows us here that when life becomes overwhelming, when you feel held captive to something, our first response should be to cry out to God, to, to run to him. It says in verse 1, it says, Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. The psalmist in this moment cries out to the Lord. He, he runs to him because he knows this is my only source of help. This is the only thing that can help me when I find myself in the pit, in the depths. Where do you turn to first when life, the breaking point, hits you? Oftentimes, for us, our first response in times of trouble is to control. It is to control the moment, right? right? Instead of running to God to help, we do everything we can to fix the problem on our own, right? Like, you can figure this out. You got it. You try to control the situation. We see this in the scriptures over and over. This is like people model for us what not to do. Abraham and Sarah, Moses, the Israelites, Peter, all of these people and so many more in scripture tried to take matters into their own hands, tried to do it on their own. And so we are a people, we constantly live in a hurry. We are in an instant gratification world. I, uh, my wife and I were at a conference a couple years ago, and they were describing uh, really the up-and-coming generations that, like, we are a people that stand in front of the microwave and say, hurry up, right? Like, we are just constantly in a hurry, wanting things to get faster. And because of that, we don't allow God to do what only he can do. Really, for us, we try to be God. We try to control the situation and take matters into our own hands. And so when we do this, when we try to take control, it affects us in different seasons that we're in. And so if you're a student, you're going to be more likely to try to cheat on a test by taking matters into your own hands. If you're a young adult... Uh, or a young college student in the room, and you have a desire for love, you're going to try to seek out a wrong relationship or even force a wrong relationship because of your matter and desire to take control. If you're a parent, 
This could potentially cause you to parent out of frustration and anger and even force and the desire to take control of your child. For other people, our first response is to run to some kind of form of comfort, anything that could satisfy you. Uh, I was talking with a friend a couple weeks ago. We were at coffee together. Uh, and for me, that's more like water, not really coffee. Uh, but we were together, meeting together, and uh, we were talking about both of us come from a kind of a background of addiction, that years ago, we both walked through things that really held captive to our life, that we were in the pit because of that certain sin. And even though God has redeemed us and freed us of those addictions for years now, when life becomes overwhelming, our temptation is to potentially run back to that. That really for years, we trained ourselves: whenever life gets hard, run to this. It'll satisfy you. It'll bring you pleasure. It will bring you comfort. Run to this. It, it will bring you what you need. It's an escape. And so many of us in this room, maybe we're training ourselves with that. That you're running to the wrong sense, a wrong form of comfort. And so church, hear me when I say this. What you run to reveals what you trust in. It reveals what your God is. When the hard times hit, it reveals what your relationship with God is really like. It shows how strong it is or how weak it is. When your faith is tested, do you run like the psalmist, crying out to the Lord, like recognizing he is the only thing. He is the only thing that I need in this time. Psalm 45 says God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 18 says, God is a rock and a fortress, a stronghold. When you hit rock bottom, when those moments come, the first thing you run to shows what you trust in. It, it communicates what your faith is in. What do you really believe about God to be true? And so the reality is, so often instead of running to him, because we are sinful humans, we run to something else. And David's going to speak into this in verse 3, is this reality that we throw more fire, we throw more gas on the fire, right? Instead of putting it out and stopping there, we, we live with this illusion that we are in control. And, and when we do that, when we don't cry out to God, it always leads us to sin. This is what David really, or as a psalmist, points out in verse 3. It says, Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be reverent. And this is an amazing truth. Right? That the reason that God does not keep an account of our wrongs, our sins, he doesn't keep a score or a scorecard against us from everything we've done wrong is because he's forgiving. Right? That should be the hope and the truth that we leave with today. The psalmist says because of God's forgiveness, he should be worshipped, he should be praised, he should be reverent. And the psalmist teaches us here that our awe of God should increase because of his forgiving love. Every really week that we've been in this series, the Psalms for the Summer, 
we've talked about that God is forgiving, that this is the character and the kindness of our Father. And so the second question that we have to look at when we find ourselves in the pit is, what are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? If the first question we looked at is more focused on our actions, this question is focused on our heart. Has your heart turned against the God that you love and sought after something else? What are you treasuring on this earth more than God? Not all the time, not in every scenario, hear me on this, but most of the time when we feel captive by something, when we feel overwhelmed by something, it's because we are worshiping something other than God. And normally, really just kind of like what's very clear of repetition is what you run to over and over, your first response is going to reveal what you worship. It's going to display that. And so as you evaluate right now, when I get that phone call, when things go wrong, what do I run to is going to show you what you ultimately worship. And so, for example, if, you, if your time of trouble hits and you, your mindset is, I've got to fix this, it shows you right there that you worship control. And I'll be the first to say, that is me. <laughs> like, I want it my way, right? I, I want control desperately. I do everything we can. We're training our dog to walk right now, and I want her to figure out how to walk correctly, right? Because I want control, right? For some of you, and uh, it just depends on what season you're in, if you feel captive by loneliness or singleness or the lack of intimacy in your marriage, and you run to a comfort of, of love and desire, it's going to reveal that you may worship lust, right? I, there was a moment for me uh, a couple days ago, another scenario, is that I, I felt captivated by something, and my first response was to run to social media, right? Like, I, I like was thinking back on the moment, and immediately when I heard some news, the first thing I did was get on my phone. And for me, I realized, man, I'm worshiping this escape, Right? That instead of running to God, my response often is to turn to Instagram, right? to turn to some form of social media and to block out the pain, right? to run to that. What are you worshiping? What are you running after and pursuing more than God? And so the question I think here can maybe be hard to wrestle with is how do you know for sure that you're worshiping something? And so, like, there, there's things in our life that we are, like, allowed and told to enjoy, right? Like, all of us should have hobbies. All of us should have things that stir our affections for God, that we enjoy his creation, right? We get outside. We do different things. So how can you make sure that, like, these hobbies, these things that I enjoy are not an idol, that, that they're not becoming something that I'm worshiping? And so an idol is anything that pulls your heart away from God, like, how, how can I be sure? Anything that pulls your heart away from God. Tim Keller, Tyler's mentioned him a lot recently. He, he said it this way. He said, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to give, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. And so an example of this is when you can't give up something, 
right? Like when, when you're unwilling to stop giving in to something or saying, I could never go without that thing. That may be an idol in your life. There's a pastor, uh, and I love that he says this. He says that he often tries to go without certain things in his life. He, he like will take a break randomly from coffee. He'll, he'll stop getting on social media. He'll limit his time on Netflix or TV, all to just have a heart check, right, to evaluate. Am I worshiping this thing? And am I running to it rather than God and his word? An idol would be when your happiness is dependent on something other than God, right? That is over and over. I, I'm finding happiness from this thing. It's bringing me life. That's revealing that that may be an idol. Another one would be is when you're willing to compromise your faith, your faith and beliefs for something certain. It can be revealed that there's an idol in your life. And then the psalmist continues in verse 5. It says, I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. And so the psalmist is showing us here a picture of a watchman. A watchman uh, would stay up throughout the night seeking to protect his town or his city to make sure that no one would invade it. Like it is his job and responsibility to protect the city while everyone else is resting. And so the, the, uh, the watchman would kind of live in a state of eagerness, longing, anticipation for the sun to come up, right? Because when the sun would begin to rise, the shift for the watchman would be over. And for us, it's when five o'clock hits on Friday, right? Is whenever the weekend comes, that's what you are anticipating and waiting for, right? For a moment of rest. The psalmist repeats this phrase twice. And this communicates of something like, hey, lean in, focus on this. There is intentionality in this. Anytime something is repeated in scripture, it says more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. He repeats this because what he's trying to get the readers to understand is a deep sense of longing. He longing for the sun to rise to, to have a moment to be released from his shift. The psalmist in this scenario is longing to be removed from the depths. He's longing for God to answer his prayers. He's longing to be removed from the sin that he's struggling with. And what he turns to is God's word. He says, I will hope in the promises of your word. And so I've learned over the past couple months that I am really bad at filling up my car at the right time, <laughs> especially when it comes to like long trips. Um, I, I drive a small Toyota Corolla that gets great gas mileage, right? And so whenever my uh, gas light comes on, I don't even worry about it. And I, I know there's uh, probably a lot of people in this room, you would never do that, right? Never even consider that. But for me, I don't even, it's not a game. I'm not, that's not how I operate. I'm like, oh, I, I'm going to go forever until this thing hits like one mile and I'm going to find a gas station. I just, just kind of numb to it. I don't think about it. And often I find myself rolling into the gas station with like literally zero miles till empty and just hoping to find a gas station. Uh, my wife and I, we were, this Christmas season, we're coming back from seeing some family. 
from Dallas. And so we were driving back to Lubbock and we stopped to get something to eat. And my wife's like, hey, should we fill up here? I'm like, no, we're good. There's, there's tons of gas stations. This, we got a Toyota Corolla, baby. Like, we're good. This thing's got like 40 miles to the gallon, right? And so we get back in the car and we start to go and we're like 30 miles away from post. You know what happens? Low fuel pops up on the dash. And it is in the middle of the night, and it just happened to be snowing in the Lubbock area, which we were getting kind of the, the beginnings of that. And my wife looks over at me, and she's like, I am going to kill you if we are going to be stranded on the side of the road, right? In the middle of the night, and it's snowing, and we're stuck there. We eventually, like, thank God we make it to a gas station post. I mean, literally barely making it in. Barely running on empty. Don't we do the same thing with our relationship with God? Our pursuit of him and his word is that over and over we run on empty. Like maybe you have this mindset that you're going to get the spiritual fuel today, right? It's Sunday. You're going to get filled up but then reality is the rest of the week, you're going to run on empty. You're, you're not going to pursue him and his word. You've got what you need today. And the reality is you just try to survive Sunday to Sunday. Just a little bit that you need. And when we run this way, when we operate with our faith this way, it leads us to the depths. It leads us to feeling captive and because we're stuck because we're a people that often run on empty instead of pursuing after God. The psalmist says, hey, don't just try to seek a little bit of God. Don't get just the little bit that you think you need. You need to long after him. What you need more than anything is more than Jesus, right? You don't need more time on Netflix. You don't need one more hour on social media. You need more of him. Don't run on empty. Pursue him. And so our goal is not, I'm trying, I don't want to be legalistic in this, is to run after him. And so the third question that we have to ask is what is the depth of your relationship with God? What is the depth of your relationship with God? Are you longing after him? And so I know here in this room, I I know this could bring shame immediately. And my desire is not to do that. I, I know that everyone in this room is in a different season. Some of you in here, there's a lot that have been pursuing Jesus for a really long time, right? That you've, you've been pursuing him and his word. And there's some people in here that have just started following Jesus. And there's some of you in here that have just started coming back, right? That you've maybe grew up pursuing Jesus. There was a season in there and now you're trying to come back. No matter where you are, that's okay. There, there's no shame And like what you would say, man, I only read God's word one time a week. There's no shame in that. But the goal, the intention here is like, man, let's make this fall a season that we lean into pursuing after God. That that more than anything that we need, we want to long after him. And so if you would say like, my mindset or view to God's word is really apathetic, you need to really pursue God and ask, why is that? Why every time do I think about reading your word, does it feel like a chore, right? God's word is not supposed to just be something you check off, his, off the list. You are pursuing the creator. You are pursuing the God of the universe who created everything, who's in, in control, right? And so to make sure you don't find yourself in a place you don't want to be, 
to make sure you're not falling in the cycle of sin, you have to run after him. What is the depth of your relationship with God? Psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. The more time the psalmist sits and waits with the Lord as he's pursuing and longing after him, his faith is strengthened. It, it, it grows so much so, we're going to read it in a moment, but in verse 7, he starts to encourage all of Israel. He says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, because the psalmist, his faith is strengthened, and then he goes out and it overflows into his community. And so the reality is, the more that we sit with the Lord, just like the psalmist does, our faith will strengthen and grow. I think about for myself some of the hardest seasons of my life. I've shared my story in here often that when I found myself in the pit and I was stuck in addiction was when my faith began to become its strongest, right? When I was struggling, I'm like, God, what do I do with college? What do I do with my future? My faith was its strongest because in those moments, I chose to pursue after God. But then there's lots of moments in my life where my spiritual depth has been very dry. And I've found that when I don't sit daily with the Lord, that I'm a person you don't want to be around. That I'm a person that's very often, I tend to be angry, I tend to be judgmental and critical of others. I'm way prone to be tempted when I don't daily sit with the Lord. And so do you have a scheduled time every day that you can say, I can meet with the Lord here? I may not do it every day. I may miss some days, right, because we're not perfect. But do you have a scheduled time every day that you can meet with Jesus, that you can be like the psalmist and long after him? Not only do we need time with God in his word, but also what can be a part of that is moments of silence, moments of stillness. In Psalm 37, 7, it says, Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by the one who prospers in his way or by the person who carries out evil plans. And so I recognize, uh, really, this makes no sense when we feel overwhelmed, when you feel stuck, when you feel in the pit of just like, man, life is too busy right now. The, the thing that seems like that doesn't make the most sense is to be still, right? Nothing in this mindset would make sense for you to stop doing what you're doing. But this is what God's word says, right? Is to run to him in moments of stillness, to be patient before him. And so, God, God, my family, all these things are going on. Rest in me. God, but God, my circumstances, you don't understand. Rest in me. Be still before me. And so are you filling your life with so much noise that you can't hear from God, that you can't run after him and trust in him? Rest in silence should be a habit for us. It should be a rhythm of daily sitting with the Lord. More than anything we need is not answered prayers. It's not changed circumstances. It's more of God. That what we need is to sit with him. It should be something that we don't compromise on. We compromise on so many things. The one thing that we should not compromise on is time with Jesus. That we say, hey, I have an appointment every day that I can't miss. I can't miss 
this time with him. It moves us to trust in him. We'll, we'll wrap up with this. The psalmist finishes with verses 7 and 8. It says, Israel, this is right, his faith is strengthened. He begins to encourage his community. He says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption and abundance, and he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. When we sit with the Lord in prayer, in worship, in stillness, in his word, it strengthens our faith, and it reminds us that God is in control. That we're going to say, God, no matter what, you are in control, and I trust you. I, I, I'm showing my trust in you. And so this psalm, it reminds us that God is forgiving, that he is worthy of our worship, that he is faithful in love. And then I love this. It says his redemption is in abundance. That no matter your story, that no matter what pit or what the, the, where you feel stuck in sin, God can redeem you from that. Over and over, there's testimonies of people in this room and in the Bible of God redeeming his people from whatever they find themselves in. The, the sin that you said you never would find yourself in. God redeems you from that. Your story's not over. With God, for the sinner, there is redemption and hope with Jesus. By today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.